James 4 is where we're going to be heading this morning. And uh, grateful that I haven't done an Everest challenge yesterday. Lord, help us this morning as we open up your word. <laughs> Thank you that he's alive. I ask that it would pierce our hearts, Lord God. Your truth would go forth, Lord God, and um, counter the lies, Lord, where we believe those. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying, what you're doing. Thank you that your word never returns to you void, but accomplishes the purpose that you have for it, Lord. And that's what I ask for this morning. We approach your word with, with humility, with gratitude, with open hearts. Amen. Amen. been reading this week... Uh, I was reading this week about um, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and my wife and I had the privilege of uh, visiting that incredible building about 12 years ago or so, and just the, the grandeur of it, the design, the architecture, it's incredible. And this particular kind of interactive article I was reading was laying out just the, the, the painstaking process that kind of it went through to get to the final design and then being able to be built. And, of course, Sir Christopher Wren, the main architect on that, uh, incredible uh, creativity that he had, um, you know, drew the blueprints. And apparently there's some over 200 drawings or blueprints that still survive in the cathedral collection that Sir Christopher Wren himself uh, drew and designed. And, of course, they're under lock and key in a museum, probably priceless in value, but the blueprint is so important to the building of the masterpiece of that particular cathedral. Just as the blueprint is so important for the building of any structure or anything like that. Aren't you glad that we've been given a blueprint for our lives? It's priceless. It's certainly not under lock and key. It's available to us. And if we desire the magnificent building or the life, we could say that God has called us to live or has for us, we must follow the blueprint. So we're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning, and I don't know about you, but I love the book of James. It's one of my favorite New Testament letters, and I love it because it's so practical. It's known as the Proverbs of the New Testament, and there's just so much in there that we can kind of grab hold of and just apply in our lives today. And it's concerned primarily with, with living the life with uh, walking the walk, if you like, not just talking the talk. He's concerned with the outworking of our faith, because if we say we follow Jesus, that it must look like something in our lives. And so James has already addressed things like you know, how we go through and navigate suffering and trials, how we be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. He's looked at how we treat others and respond to other people. He's, he's looked at how we uh, tame the tongue. He's looked at all those kind of things. And now he comes to address something else that I believe is, is significant for us this morning. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. And he writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In our passage for today, James addresses what the New Testament writers, and, and really uh, through what, much of church history, what has been called the three enemies of the soul. They're called the enemies of the soul because they're the three things that will seek to draw us away from the Lord, to turn us away from Him, to dull our awareness of His presence, dampen the voice and the conviction of His Spirit in our lives. These three things, these three enemies of the soul are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so James is addressing this particularly to the Jewish Christians he was writing to, how they'd succumbed and fallen into the trap of giving in to these things. So just by way of context and background, uh, briefly uh, looking at these three things. The world, James refers to this in, in verse 4 where he's talking about friendship with the world, how that is or leads to enmity with God. It's kind of at cross purposes. And he actually rebukes them, calling them an adulterous people, that there's this sense of being unfaithful to God if we're seeking you know, to be have a foot in the camp of the world and a foot in God's camp as well. Author, pastor and teacher John Mark Comer unpacks what we refer to as the world in this way. He says much of what we call culture, Jesus and the New Testament writers call the world, a system of ideas, values, practices and social norms that are institutionalized into a culture that is organized around rebellion against God and his ways. So as his people, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, because that's where our lives play out. That's where in the day-to-day we live and move and have our being, but not succumbing to or adopting the ideas and values and practices and norms of the world system, which is set up against and in rebellion against the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, exhorts us in this way. It says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not conformed, but transformed into more and more into the likeness of Jesus, ultimately. The message paraphrase of Romans 12 puts it this way. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. You'll be able to readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. So the first enemy of the soul, the world. The second one that he addresses is the flesh. And James refers to this in the first few verses of chapter 4. 
where he's talking about quarrels and fights and, and desires and passions and this covetous, covetousness and lust and wrong motives and all these kind of things. What's he mean by that? Our sinful nature. Our sinful desires that as we follow Jesus, there is this battle within us to yield to the things of the Spirit or the things, the desires, or give in to the desires of our flesh. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, where he says, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Does anyone else have that sort of frustration at times? That the good you want to do, it's like right there, but the stuff you don't want to do is what you keep on doing. It's because the flesh is in opposition to the Holy Spirit and to his work in our lives. And again, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5. It's a well-known passage where he's talking about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. That means contrary to or in opposition to, or incompatible with. And he lists some of the things of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, Sensuality, idolatry, drunkenness, dissension, divisions, fits of rage, things like these. Things like these, the works of the flesh, in opposition to, contrary to, the things and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you have the world and the flesh and then the devil, who James refers to in chapter 6 and 7, the one that we are to resist. He's the one who only seeks to steal and kill and destroy. The one who is in opposition to the Son of God and those who follow after Jesus. And his strategy, of course, as we've looked at recently, are lies. That's been his strategy, his way, right from the beginning. Did God really say? Did God really say? And so in addressing these three enemies of of our souls... I'm certainly not wanting to leave us discouraged this morning. But you know, any good military strategy involves knowing your enemy. Knowing what's there so you can recognize it and resist it and respond in an appropriate way. So my hope and aim this morning is to help us to to see and recognize these things that are at work, these things that are coming against us, but also to help us to see and grab hold of the blueprint that's outlined in the passage for living victoriously. Because the good news is that we have indeed been given a blueprint for how not to bow to the three enemies of the soul. And James outlines specific strategies that we can arm ourselves with. But before we we launch into that or get too much further, I I just want to focus for a moment on the underpinning or the, the thing that is underpinning or the foundational Things for the strategies and the blueprint to overcome in our lives. And it's found in verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. And I want to suggest this morning, it's his grace that underpins our resistance and our standing firm against the three enemies of our soul. And in the midst of the warning that James is giving, in the midst of addressing some serious things, it's like there's this shift in the dialogue here. It's like a moment where it's, ah, he says, but he gives more grace. Aren't you glad that God is a God of grace? 
That he is a God who pours out his gift, this undeserved favor, mercy, kindness, and help upon us, his people. I love what it says in John chapter 1, verse 16, that it's from his fullness we receive grace upon grace. Not just a measly amount, not just a trickle, but an abundance of the grace of God that comes from him. And I want to encourage us this morning, there is great grace available to us today. It won't run out and it won't run dry. It's not just for when we maybe feel like we're going really well or have it all together, but it's for when we need it most. Perhaps this morning, there may be some of us here stuck in a place where you're really wrestling with or even succumbing to the things of the flesh. Maybe you feel like you're in that that battle or that struggle with worldliness where you come along on a Sunday morning and put on the Christian face, but really life looks very different for every other day of the week. A bit of the world and a bit of God. The good news is this morning is that he gives more grace. Will you turn toward him and receive his grace this morning? And you know, his grace is not just the uh, warm fuzzies or the, you know, the, the feel good, oh, it's all about grace, so we're okay. It's not just the, the cover up for when we mess up and mis- our mistakes go everywhere. But you know, it's the power available to us to live a victorious life. This is how the Amplified Bible puts this particular verse. It says, but he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for salvation. In receiving his saving grace, the kindness, the favor, the goodness, the mercy of God, we are also receiving his enabling power. To live victoriously and to stand firm against the world and the flesh and the devil. I love what it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says this, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Let's pause there. That's, that's wonderful. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. We're forgiven. That's, that's wonderful. What a precious gift. But too often we just stop there with that aspect of the grace of God. Yes, in receiving his grace, we're receiving the abundance of his favor and kindness and goodness, but we're also receiving the very means by which we can live the life that he has called us to live. We're receiving the very spiritual empowerment we need to be able to stand firm against sin, to resist the overtures and the drawing of the world, and to resist the work of the devil. For he goes on to write, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Here's the key. Training us, teaching us, empowering us, if you like, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. His grace is the power that is available to us to live the victorious life that he's called us to live. Because Jesus paid far too high a price for his grace to just be the kind of pillar that we rest on. It's also the power by which we can live 
victoriously. And so when we consider the blueprint of living victoriously, of standing firm against the three enemies of our soul, the first element that underpins everything else is for us to recognize, to receive, and to walk in His grace. His grace. So let's shift this morning to, to kind of focus on the, the practical elements. What does it look like in our lives to follow this blueprint that James walks out? Well, the first thing, he gives three strategies that I want to just focus on this morning. The first of these, verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Submit to God. This answers the question, how do we overcome the world? How do we not succumb to being just conformed into the likeness and the pattern of this world with its ideas and values and practices and norms that set up against the Lord and His ways? Well, we submit ourselves to God. Now, this word submit or the idea of submission is perhaps not a very popular word these days, is it? Yeah, and in many ways... Both in the church and outside the church, it's been misused or abused and has caused a lot of hurt or a lot of confusion or a lot of oppression for people. And at the same time, this idea of submission is being used to cause suffering or oppression. In other instances, it's kind of being rebelled against, perhaps with the rise of circular culture and an anti-authority sort of mentality. But this word... Submission or to submit to God, the, the word behind it, the root word, is a, is a military term. It's, it means to get into your proper rank. Now, I don't have much military background or experience, but the kind of idea that I think of when I think of that is that if you're like a, a cadet or a rookie, kind of freshman on the scene, you're not going to come in there and kind of tell the head honchos what to do. You're not going to go in there and kind of swagger into that place and say, hey, this is how it's going to be. No, there is, a, there is a, a structure and an authority to come under for those that are actually in authority. And so this word, to submit ourselves to God, it means to come under, to the, come under the authority of, to yield to the Lord. A few years ago, uh, when I had traveled to the U.S., the giveaway signs there, what we have as giveaway, it says yield. Instead of giveaway, it says yield. And it kind of got me thinking as a yield, what's that all about? And as I thought about it, well, as you come to a sign that says giveaway or yield, before you drive out, you're not just going to drive out and kind of do your own thing there. You want to yield to whatever's coming. You want to not be in the way of whatever's coming. You want to kind of come under or get out of the way of that which is coming so you don't have a crash, you don't have an accident, and things go pear-shaped. And so this idea of submitting ourselves to God, it's this idea of yielding, of surrendering, of not wanting to get in the way of what the Lord is wanting to do. It means coming under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and yielding to his lordship in every area of our lives. So we talked about the world this morning and James's warning against worldliness. These values and ideas and norms and perspectives that are in opposition to God and to his ways. So if we're living in a world that's set up in rebellion against God, we want our lives to be 
countercultural to that. And it's important for us to reflect on what is shaping us. Are we in rebellion to or submission to God? And to, to submit to God, how can we do that if we're being shaped by the world and the culture around us? The two are at cross purposes. If we want to be submitting and coming under the lordship of Jesus, I would suggest that his word must be our standard. His word must be what we measure things by so that we don't just be conformed, so that we don't just kind of go along with what's the tide of everything going on around us, but so that we are transformed, so that our minds are renewed. The idea of submitting to the Lord, if that seems scary or a bit, oh, what's... He doesn't lord it over us as a dictator. He, he came that we might have life and life abundantly. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. As we welcome each and every day the Lord's, his lordship in our lives, having his word be our standard, that will lead us to life. As his grace empowers us and as we submit to him, it enables us to not just be shaped by the world. Which leads us to the next element of the blueprint that James lays out. He says to resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil. This answers the question, how do we overcome the devil? How do we not give in to his lies? How do we not give him a foothold in our lives that will actually draw us away from the Lord? We resist him. We hold our ground. We refuse to be moved and pushed back. That's what the word means. We have, we stand firm upon God's word so that we have a stable foundation upon which to stand firm. In order to resist him, though, it starts with being submitted and yielded to the Lord. Uh, my, my son, one of my sons, of late there's been a couple of instances, whether it's in the sporting environment, playing soccer or the schoolyard of just um, just kind of kids being kids, really, where some others are sort of being a little bit antagonistic, coming, you know, saying some stuff that's not kind or not nice, and he's been sharing these things with me, and I've sort of been listening, and I'm sorry that's been happening, buddy. But in the midst of it all, trying to encourage him with some strategies of, you know, often in those kind of things, often when those things take place or those things are said, often... Uh, people are just looking for a reaction or a response or an outburst or something like that. And so I've tried to encourage him, you know, in those times, in those times, you know, if, if you don't give them that reaction or you don't give them that response that they're looking for, pretty soon they'll stop niggling or saying those things that are going to be antagonistic. The hassling will most likely stop. Okay, Dad, I'll give that a try. But it kind of got me thinking that in, the same, in a similar way, the enemy, he loves attention. He craves it. It wasn't just enough for him to be a prominent being in heaven. He wanted the worship. He wanted to be God. And he loves it when our focus is upon him, when our focus is upon what he's doing or what, might, or what he might be going to do rather than on Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our lives. So in this exhortation to resist 
the devil, I believe part of that is to, yes, stand firm, to be in his word, but also to focus our attention, not so much on what the enemy is doing, but upon the Lord, upon who he is, and upon all that he has done. I love the uh, account of Jesus in the wilderness. In Matthew, and the enemy comes, he's, he's been out there being tempted by the enemy. And the enemy comes just to lie. He comes to, to undermine identity, to get him to bow down and worship him. And how does Jesus counter the lies? How does he resist the devil? Well, he stands firm and he resisted him with the truth of God's word. He says three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so for us, as we stand firm, as we submit to God, as we yield to his lordship and his word is the standard in our lives, as we're focusing our attention on the Lord, we too can also resist the devil and stand against the lies and what he comes against us with, with, his, with the truth of God's word. Resisting is an, is an active word. It's not just a passive thing. But to resist well, we need a firm foundation and a stable base upon which to stand. That comes from God's word. As his grace empowers us and as we resist the devil, he will flee. He will flee. Finally this morning, the exhortation to draw near to God which answers the question, how do we overcome the flesh? We draw near to God and we humble ourselves before him. And we repent and deal with the sin that can separate us from God. He talks about cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts, actually being serious about sin in our lives. Now I think of it this way, that if, if someone is far off, someone right in the back corner, and I'm looking in the back corner, there's Tanya, hi Tanya. <laughs> now, far away, I, I can sort of make out, I can see, but I can't see closely the color of her eyes or the, you know, all those kind of things. Hear her very clearly if she kind of would just talk in a normal voice from the back. But as I draw near, as I move towards her, for example, that's when I can see clearly or can hear as well. In the same way with the Lord, as we're encouraged to draw near to him. It's like each step we do that, opening up his word, spending time in his presence, taking a moment to pray. Each step we're drawing near, we're take, coming closer, we're able to see him more clearly. We're able to know him more closely. We're able to hear him more clearly as well. And as we draw near to him, he is the one that we'll be more aware of, not our own selves, not our own flesh, not the things going on around us. Perhaps I could get Ali to come up. Is that okay? I love the story of Moses and the burning bush in Exodus 3. He was there going about his business, keeping the flock. The Lord sort of appears to him. He didn't just stay far off. He turned aside. He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to look, I'm going to turn aside, I'm going to position myself so I can see this thing. I'm going to get close so I can see clearly. And it was when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, that he drew near, that he called to him. 
that he revealed himself to Moses. And I want to suggest the same for us this morning, that something happens when we also draw near to God, when we turn aside, when we position our hearts and humble ourselves to draw near to him and come close. We're able to see him more clearly and know his presence near. And he's faithful to draw near to us as well. So here's the blueprint that we've been given to submit to God, to yield to him, to resist the devil and to draw near to God. And underpinning all this is the grace of God poured out and made available to us through the finished work of the cross. Empowers us to live victoriously. And just as builders need to follow the blueprint to complete the building or the masterpiece, so we too must follow the blueprint given in his word, to resist and to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, to live the victorious life that God has called us to live. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to invite the prayer team uh, to come up. They're going to be on either side of the stage. You might like to make your way forward now, if possible, if you can. We're blessed here with wonderful prayer teams who every week are here faithfully, ready and willing to pray for any and every need. So I would encourage you this morning, if you have any particular prayer need, whether it's a physical condition, whether it's an emotional one, whether it's a relational one, whether it's a financial one, whatever it might be, let me encourage you to avail yourselves of that wonderful ministry. Prayer teams over on my left and right. And uh, I'm going to pray and finish our time together. Thank you, Lord God, for this day. Thank you for your presence that has been in our midst today. Lord, I thank you for the blueprint that you have given us, Lord, for victorious living that we find all through your word. I thank you particularly for this morning, for your grace that underpins everything, for this call and this exhortation to to submit to or yield to you, Lord, to resist and stand firm against the enemy and to draw near to you, God. Would you help us in that, I pray, as your people? Would you help us, Lord, to submit, to yield to your lordship in every area of our lives? I pray that your word would be our standard, Lord God, that we would not be conformed to this world, but we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, transformed more and more into your likeness, Jesus. I pray that we would be a people, Lord, who resist the devil, who stand firm upon the foundation of your word, counter the lies with your truth Lord who don't give the devil a foothold in our lives and who have our focus upon you Lord on who you are and on what you are doing and I pray too that we would be a people who draw near to you who turn our hearts towards you Lord whether that's in the as we wake in the morning as we're driving to work as we're washing up as we're whatever we're doing Lord 
just pray that even in this coming week, we would be turning our hearts toward you, inclining our hearts, looking to you, allowing you to come and have your rightful place in our lives, Lord. I pray this morning where there may be anyone here really wrestling with God, uh, any of these three enemies of the soul. Worldliness, flesh, sinful nature, or even just feeling like they're wrestling with the enemy, Lord God. Pray that you would strengthen them, God. Pray that they would know your grace, Lord God. Grace that empowers and equips us, Lord. I just bless each person here this morning with your presence, with your grace, with an awareness of your goodness, and with your steadfast love, of God, and your peace that surpasses all understanding. As we go from here into the week, May we know that you're with us. May we stand firm and live a victorious life in you, I pray. In 